sick, I'm going to stop. Um, now listen, you rich people, weep and wow because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the father wait, farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophet who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord's finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Alrighty, well, perseverance, hard work, endurance, making it to the end, being focused, not looking back. All these words should probably conjure up ideas, thoughts of maybe, maybe an athlete working hard, you know, getting fit, making sure that they're ready for the test to come. Or maybe it's a marathon runner. Maybe it's a marathon runner who's, who's 20 kilometres in and they, they hit the wall and like that, that barrier where they just feel like they've got nothing left. Or where you're doing like three kilometres and you're like, I've got nothing left. Um, but then they, they end up doing that extra 20 k's or 22 kilometres for a marathon. But you know what? Not me. When I hear these words, perseverance, hard work, not giving up, I don't think of a marathon runner. No, no. Uh, I think of something else that, that takes a bit more guts, a bit more perseverance, a little bit more steadfastness. All right? What I think of, it's holding in a poo. Okay? Look, let me, let me clarify here. Okay? Don't laugh. I'm being serious. What I mean is, Anyone can run a marathon, all right? Anyone can do it. I haven't done it. Now, I don't want to. That's why. But if I had to, I could do it. That's easy. But not everyone can hold in a poo when you've got to go, all right? That takes some serious guts, seriously. Uh, all right? Because, like, think about it like this, right? Imagine if, our, imagine if our society just all of a sudden was like, hey, you know what? Public defecation, that's cool. Don't worry about it. Not an not a illegal thing to do anymore, all right? Like, so murder, that's still illegal, don't do that, all right, everyone likes that one. Uh, texting, like, on your phone while driving, um, they're really cracking down on that one now, you know, it's like got all the cameras, you can't do, like, the sneaky one down here while you're, like, pretending you're, like, doing the gear stick thing, Guy Steinbeck looking at you, um, like, you can't do that, all right, we're all good, but public defecation, public pooping, it's sweet. Imagine the kind of world that we would live in, all right? So, like, you're at school, you're like, oh, miss, can I? Oh, wait, yeah, cool. And, you're like, just going for it. There's no shame. There's no, like, oh, dude, that smells. Like, nothing like that, all right? Everyone's just okay with it. Um, don't worry about the, the toilets being dirty at school. That's fine. That's fine. No, no more shame. Um, no more having to, like, flush it, and then the toilet's starting to fill up, and you're like, oh, man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to overflow. It's going to overflow. And then just before it gets to the top, it, like, it stops. 
And you're like, oh, phew, that was close. And you wait for it to trickle back down. You're like, all right, I, I can do this. I can do this. Second flush. Here we go. Bang. And then it goes up even further and starts trickling out. And then it stops. You're like, oh, my gosh. Okay, what do I do? What do I do? And then you don't know what to do. So you've got to go downstairs and you've got to go down to the admin lady uh, at the hotel. And you're like, hey, Karen, um, don't know how this happened, but the toilet's blocked. And, then, and you know she's judging you. You know she's going to go home and tell her family because what happened was... She got the janitor, and he went upstairs, and he couldn't even unblock the toilet. And so you and your whole family had to go to the next hotel room because somehow the toilet was out of order, which just is just a nice way of saying that you did a big old poo, and not even the janitor could fix it. Uh, and so you're just kind of sitting there going, oh, man, I wish we could all do public defecation, and everything would be great. Um, <laughs> Now, that didn't happen to me, all right? Um, that happened to a friend of a friend of mine. So, um, look, I'm sure I'm not the only one who, who that's happened to. Um, but, look, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, holding it in, all right, it can be tough sometimes, all right? And here's, here's my very subtle segue. James is also talking to us about holding it in. And, no, it's not a poo, uh, but he is talking about perseverance and patience, Okay? And so, I hope uh, as a Christian, tonight actually challenges you about holding it in, about persevering, about pushing on. Um, And so, what I hope tonight is that it does that, Uh, but rather than just hoping for that, how about I pray that that might happen? How about I pray that we do actually get encouraged uh, to persevere, to push on, uh, and to keep living as a Christian? So, can we pray again? Dearly Father, um, Lord, please help us now to uh, live for you. Help us to to listen to what you have to say to us. Um, And Lord, may we not just listen to what um, is being said, but may we actually listen with our hearts. May we be humble, uh, ready to hear and ready to actually change as well. Uh, So Lord, please do that. Um, Yeah, in your name. Amen. All right, so we're at the end of James's letter now. And he actually, he, he finishes his letter the same way that he starts it. He's encouraging Christians to persevere, to keep going. And so here's the big thing I want you guys to see tonight. It's this. It's that the final day will be terrible for some, joyful for others, because the Lord is coming. And so let's look at the first part of that. Let's break it down. The final day will be terrible for some. Now, look, let, let me clarify here. J- James, our author, he's actually writing in a specific time. Uh, and I think it's actually helpful for us to understand um, some of the things that James actually assumes here. So at the end of verse 3, have you guys got your Bibles there? Can we, can we open up our Bibles, please? Actually, I just realised I don't have one with me. Uh, that's awkward. Can I have a Bible, please? Thank you. But at the end of verse 3, have a look. And James uses a couple of words. He says, in the last days. In the last days. Now, this is, this is a term, a, a biblical kind of time frame used to describe the time between when Jesus rose from the dead and left earth and the time that he's going to come back. And in between those two times, it's called the last days. And so James's audience that he's writing to are in the last days. And even though that's 2,000 years ago, we too are in the last days. And so what James writes here, 
Yes, it's a 2,000-year-old letter, but it's also written to us, to those living in the last days. And so we're told Jesus is coming back. We're not quite sure when, but it's soon. And it's called the last days because God has essentially completed what He was wanting to do on earth. There was people who rejected Him and didn't want Him, and so He's made a way for them to come back to Him, opened up the way to to have a relationship with Him. And with that, those who don't follow Jesus are punished, but those who do are brought back into the fold, into the family. And so we're simply waiting for Jesus to come back, and a little bit like extra time in a footy game, we too are in that extra time. We are in the last days. And so we're in the last days, but James actually talks about a final day, the last day of the last days. And it's this final day that James talks about here. Now, a lot of the things that James actually talks about, he he does assume, and so I think it's helpful just to get a little bit more clarity on what's going on. I imagine there's a lot of us who have heard some of this stuff before, uh, who already know it, but I I wouldn't be surprised if there's a couple of us who don't know any of this. Um, Probably two things. There's either a couple of people who, A, don't know anything about this. That's great. Good that you're here. The second thing, I reckon there's a couple of people here who just don't care. Maybe they've heard this before, maybe you've got a, a Christian school, but you just don't care and this is the boring part of youth and I'm sorry that I'm up here. But can I, can I please just plead with you? Can I say something? I've already said a bunch of things, I'll keep going. Um, if you don't know this or you don't care, the Bible here paints a terrifying picture of what's to come to those who don't know Jesus. And so I, I don't want to... I don't want to scare you into becoming a Christian. I don't want to scare you into giving your money to the giving bags that went around. I don't want to do that. But what I want to do is to help you see what the Bible's saying and see that it's serious and that it's not something that you can just be apathetic about. It's something that you can either, you either have to A, take really seriously, or B, it's just a joke and you can ignore it. But you can't just muck around with it. And so, if you're not a Christian, that's okay. Listen in. But seriously consider what's going on here. So, that's the time period that James is talking about. He speaks to a people living 2,000 years ago, living in the last days, about the last day of the last days. And so, that's what's going on. But have a look at what James says about this very last day. Let's have a look. Verses 1 to 3, let's read it. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moss have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. James starts this section and he's not holding back any punches, is he? Uh, you, know, you know when a, a teacher uh, pulls you aside uh, and they give you some feedback on an essay that you did? And you know this essay, it's pretty rubbish, all right? You know, like, you, you didn't even read the, the material that you were given, you just kind of went on spark notes, and you're like, oh yeah, bang, 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 cool, let's go. And you start, you start punching it out, and you're making up stuff, you make up quotes, and you're going for it, you're like, this is great. Uh, and you're like, sick, five out of 20, 
that'll do. Like, that, that's what you do. And the teacher pulls you aside and they're like, Ben, I think, like, I think you could have done a little bit better, you know? Like, when, you, you know, when you're answering in class, your answers, they're always really good. They kind of give you, like, the compliment sandwich where it's, like, compliment, like, negative feedback, compliment. They're kind of trying to soften the blow, okay? And you, you can see right through it. All right, you're not taking any bites. But... James here, he's not doing that, all right? He's not a Greenpoint teacher. What he's doing, he gets straight to the point. He's just like, sorry, no, that's not a dig at Greenpoint. He's saying, he, look how he starts off. He just says, listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. James here gets straight to the point, all right? He's saying, you guys should be utterly scared of what is going to happen to you. Something terrifying that is worth legitimately weeping, worth crying over. And so what is going to happen to these people? Well, verse 3, it's pretty intense. Verse 3, he says, Your gold and silver are corroded, their corrosion will testify against you, and eat your flesh like fire. That's intense. And I think... It's probably some poetic language, but it's also a bit of an idea of what's actually going to be going on. So what's James's deal? Why is he being so harsh on rich people? Well, it doesn't exactly say it here, but James is saying that their own wealth is actually, it actually shows their love and their true love. What it shows is their love of money shows their disregard for other people, and it shows their disregard for God. You see, in verse 3, James says that your gold and silver will testify against you. Do you guys know what testify means? It means to give evidence in court. And so, if a witness saw you commit a crime, a witness would testify and say, yep, he did this, they did that. But to say that your wealth, that your gold and silver will testify against you, James is saying that their wealth gives evidence to the crimes they've committed, to the evil lives that they live. Now, these evil lives having a look at verse 4, kind of shows what what they're doing. James says, Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. These guys have failed to pay their workers. They failed to pay them properly. In fact, they've actually just hoarded wealth and haven't given people what they are owed. Now, back in those days... If you didn't pay people regularly, if you didn't pay people, people daily or, or weekly when they were supposed to be paid, well, people just lived week to week, day to day. They bought their, their bread and they lived off that. If they couldn't get food, well, it was going to be pretty difficult to survive. And so that's why James actually says what he says in verse 6. Have a look. He says, You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. These rich people are essentially sending people to their death because they can't afford to keep living without the money that they are just owed for their their work. These rich people are sending people to their death because of their greed. So these rich people are sounding pretty terrible. 
they're greedy, they send people to their death inadvertently, but they actually do something far worse. Um, I wonder if you actually pick it up. So just, just think with me for a bit. It's actually something that you and I both do. We do it every day. And it's called idolatry. So having an idol, living for something other than God, that, that's idolatry. Uh, and it's what these rich people are doing, and that's what's far worse than murder. Now, these rich people... Um, oh, sorry. Uh, so for a lot of people, what, what we do is we, we live for ourselves. So our idol... The thing that we live for, rather than living for God, we live for ourselves. And for a lot of people, what it shows itself in, not everyone, but often it shows it, particularly in Western culture, is money. So if I'm, if I'm living for myself, what's the, what's the thing that's going to enable to get me whatever I want to get? And it's often money. With money, I, I can go on that holiday... With money, I can go get those clothes. With money, I can get that iPhone 11. With money, I can go buy that car, go out for dinner. You you can enjoy almost anything that the world has to offer with money. Money itself is pretty boring. In fact, I don't know why people go and study it for five years at university, but money is the key to unlock whatever you want. And so getting those things with your money for yourself, living for for yourself is actually something that we all do. It's probably going to look a little bit differently for all of us, but but we all do it. And so it's actually far worse than killing someone. Now, why? Well, it's because you're actually rejecting, you're you're killing the God of the universe in your heart. He's dead to you. You ignore him, you reject him, and you take whatever you want in this life. And you live for that rather than him the God of infinite worth and value, the God who made you, who's given you all the good things you have, the breath in your lungs, the clothes on your back, the food on your plate, and you, he's dead to you. You kill him in your heart and you live for something else. That's what these people do. That's what we do. And that's the ultimate sin right there. And so that's why James says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail. Now you might be sitting here going, mate, I'm, I'm 17. I work at KFC and earn like 50 bucks a week. Calm down, all right? I'm not rich. All right, and that's okay. All right, that's probably true. You probably haven't, probably, you probably haven't underpaid your workers. In fact, if you work for Woolies, Woolies have actually underpaid you. Remember that story that came out a few weeks ago? That, that's a proven fact. What this does mean for, for, you know, if you're 17, what this does mean is that if you don't know the Lord Jesus, if you live your life ignoring God, rejecting Him, He's dead to you, then this passage is for you. And it's pretty hectic. You should weep and wail because of the misery that is going to come upon you. Verse 5, verse 5 describes it as the day of slaughter. I don't know how much more serious I can be about this stuff. If, if you're not a Christian, chat to your friend, chat to a leader. 
We've, we've got a program um, next year. It's called Life. We run it at every, every kind of school term. Um, it's, like, it's, it's for people out of school, but we, we love having actually years 10 to 12 there, so we actually invite you guys. And it looks through all the evidence of Christianity. Um, summer nights as well, really good thinking through um, evidence and why it's worth living for Jesus. But th- this stuff, <laughs> the day of slaughter, weep and wail, it's pretty serious. And so... I don't think you can ignore this. Now look, if you call yourself a Christian, the start of verse 7 is actually for you. And it's an awesome reminder, actually. James actually tells you guys, he says, be patient. Um, but do you notice the word that he uses right after that? If you've got the NIV, it says, then. If you have the ESV, it should say, therefore. And that's sort of the reasoning be patient then. Why? Well, actually, verses 1 to 6 is the reason why you should be patient. It's sort of the context of why you should be patient. James is writing to Christians here in a context of them actually suffering under these rich people. Um, And so he's saying, be patient. He's saying, Christian brothers and sisters, be patient. And so if you're a Christian, there's a couple of things to take out of this. And on the screen... First of all, know that, that God is going to punish those who do wrong. So there's tons of evil in this world. There's tons of things that, that go wrong. And, and in fact, if, if it makes you angry, it makes you want to do something about it, that's probably an okay thing. That it's okay to be angry about evil things. God gets angry about them. Um, but it's not our job to, to take revenge. It's not our job to, to do that. That's actually God's job. And so, be patient in waiting for God to, to bring justice. It's good to know that justice is done when you hear a crime committed and they go to jail for however long. But wait for God to bring His justice um, and don't, don't do it yourself. And the second thing, the second thing is actually wealth is fleeting. I don't know if you caught it in verse 2. But James says, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Um, there's tons of passages in the Bible that actually just continually talk about how wealth is either can be stolen or, or corroded. Um, and this is another reminder that wealth is fleeting. And so, yes, get a job, use it, do what you need to, but don't chase after the things of this world because they won't last. And so that, that's for you if you're a Christian. But can I make a couple of quick clarifications as well? Because I've, I've said some things, but it was kind of maybe some generalizations. A couple of clar- clarifications here uh, that should come on the screen. Number one, oh, that's white on white, that's not good. Um, there's nothing wrong with being rich, okay? So there's nothing inherently wrong with being rich. So if you know rich Christians or if you know people who, who just have a uh, have a good job that pays well. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with money. But it's uh, 1 Timothy 6, it's the love of money, which is the beginning of all evil. Can we get that back up? Uh, and so, watch your heart, um, watch how you chase and pursue money, uh, but it's not wrong, okay? And the second thing I think is helpful as well, there's, there's a difference between smart saving and just plain greed. 
now, you probably won't feel this as much as when you're 17, 18, um, but as you, as you leave school, as you're in year 12, as you leave school, as you, you do uni, you, you might even not have much money while you're at uni. Um, but look, I, I just turned 25, so I'm only, what, seven, eight years ahead of you guys? Uh, I'm feeling that pull right now. My wife and I, were thinking about getting a house, and you've got the world, we're finding that the world's telling us you need to get a nice house and a nice car and a nice job so you can have nice kids in a nice school who, who are smart uh, and you can have a nice dog with, with a nice fence, all, all those sort of things. And that, that's what the world's telling us. Um, and it feels easy to justify a lot of things. Oh, you know, if we live in this nice area, that means that it's, it's a safer place for us to live. Um, you know, if we have this you know, nicer house, you, know, you get these upgrades or whatever, uh, then you know, that, that's going to be good. We can, maybe we can have people over, we can have Christian people over, and we can do Bible study here, things like that. Uh, so you can use money well, but there's a difference between smart saving for you know, when there's an emergency and you do need money, uh, and greed. So I I can't tell you exactly what that's going to look like, but just be careful of that, Um, because a couple of years' time, you you will feel that. I guarantee it. So there's my first point. First point is, the final day will be terrible for some. But it's also going to be joyful for others. And I hope this is where we can smile a little bit more. The final day will be joyful for others. James starts this second section, and he's pretty clear in what he wants to say to Christians. Have a look. It's literally the first two words. He says, be patient. Be patient, brothers and sisters. And so, as I mentioned before, he uses the word then, or therefore... Uh, because it's in the context of Christians' suffering. So James is saying, brothers and sisters, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, Christians, fellow Christians, persevere and be patient under suffering. James uses the example of a farmer, verse 7, he uses the example of a farmer to kind of give you the image of him waiting for his crops to grow. Just like the farmer waits for the rains to come in his, uh, for his produce, we wait. We are meant to wait as well. Now we're not waiting for rain. Actually, that that actually be really good right now, as our country is on fire. But we're not waiting for rain. We're not waiting for for corn to grow. Uh, we're not waiting to to finally go to the toilet after a twenty four hour flight to London. No, no. We're waiting for something else, and it's actually it's actually in verse eight. We're waiting because of verse 8. It says, You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. That's pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting that Christians, we're to wait because the Lord is coming near, or the Lord is coming, sorry. But not only that, not only is Jesus the reason why we wait, but He's actually the very thing that we are waiting for. He's the reason why we wait, but he's also the thing that we are waiting for. Have a look at verse 11, the end of verse 11. He says, The Lord is full of compassion and full of mercy. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And God has given us a new life found in Jesus. 
And so while we were sinners, God loved us so much and full of compassion, full of mercy. If God loved us while we were sinners on earth, how much more is God going to love us and how much more are we going to be able to experience that love while we're in heaven, while we're with Jesus? That'll be awesome. We'll be finally with him. And as it says in Revelation, there'll be no more sin, no more sickness, no more sadness, no more death. He will wipe away every tear. In fact, let's go back to chapter 1, chapter 1 of James, and look how he starts it. He says, consider it, verse 2, sorry, verse 2, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials or whenever you suffer, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And he says, let perseverance, verse 4, let perseverance finish its work so that you you may be mature. And then look what he says, verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. God will crown those who wait for him. He'll crown them with life. And it's going to be true life, life to the full. A life without sin, a life without sadness in this world. And so it's pretty simple that the final day will be joyful for those who are in Jesus. And so we should actually wait patiently for him. And so thinking through that, how are we to, to wait patiently for Jesus? Think about it. How does the farmer wait patiently for the rains to come? Well, he doesn't just sort of sit around idly, going, oh, I wonder you know, when the rain's going to be here. He's probably doing a bunch of work, probably pruning, pruning and getting rid of the weeds, fertilising. If he collects sort of any little bit of rain that he has, any water, might use a little bit of extra of that around, make sure that the dirt's sort of, you know, I, I'm not really bad farming, but... You get the idea. He probably doesn't just sit there twiddle his thumbs. No, he's actually probably doing a bunch of things, making sure his tools are working, all that kind of stuff. And so as Christians, you just sit there and wait for the Lord and be excited. I mean, you can, and that, that's good. That's part of it. But I reckon there's, there's more to that, being a Christian. I reckon as we wait for the Lord, we should actually do a couple of things. I reckon you should, first of all, be, be telling your friends about Jesus. Have those awkward conversations. That's okay. I'm not very good at it either. (laughs) I still struggle. But having a look, those people who don't know Jesus should weep and wail. It's the day of slaughter, verse 5. If you love your friends, at least just having a conversation about it. You can display the gospel in conversation. You can also display it just in how you live. And so be thinking about how you can be displaying Jesus' love, God's love, just in how you live and relate to them. I reckon that's the first way. I reckon the second way we can patiently wait for Jesus. I reckon we can grow our knowledge of of him. I reckon, do you know that the more you know about someone, either the more that you dislike them or the more that you do like them. And we know our God is a, a good, loving God who who's loved us, who's died for us. And so if we can know more about him, 
we can learn more about Him, man, I reckon you're actually going to learn to love God more and more. And so, reading some books, school holidays is coming up, don't just waste your time. <laughs> Maybe put some time into just reading a book. Now, being a Christian isn't just having lots of head knowledge, um, but hopefully that head knowledge should actually affect your heart, affect your love for God. I reckon there's a two ways that you can really grow yourself and patiently wait for the Lord. And I reckon the third thing is that you should probably chat to your leader about what are the things you could be doing as you patiently wait. I reckon that'd be a really good conversation to have. Just chat, chat to either your friend or your leader and say, hey, what are some ways you reckon we can continue to, to patiently wait for the Lord? I reckon if we did that, we'd be a youth group who would look very, very different. That'd be great. So, how are you using your time waiting for Jesus? Are you persevering? Uh, are you determined? The final day, if we go back, the final day will be terrible for some. It'll be joyful for, for others, for those who are in Jesus. It's actually because the Lord's coming back. So you should be excited for that and use your time well. Let's pray. That'd be good. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we want to pray, please, that you would um, help us to wait for you. Lord, help us to persevere under, under suffering um, that comes our way. May you use these trials and, and, pers- um, and temptations, Lord, to um, help us to grow in our love and our knowledge for you. Um, Lord, may we continue to look forward to that, that final day, that last day of days, where you'll come back and you'll crown those who know you with the crown of life. Lord, may we long to, to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. May we not get caught up in the things of this world, the riches of this world, as good as they are. Um, Lord, may we, may we long for your day when you come back. Amen.